I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. How do you think? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, here you go, man. All right, good. I finally figured out how to drive my Discord controls. Hi, Tim. Hi. Brittany, you totally went Stephen Hawkins for a minute. That was awesome. <laughs> that was really cool. Wait till you play that one back. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was my end, but now that I know that it's her end, I feel much better. Okay, how's that? Is that better? Better, better. We could really start anytime. The only other person that we were waiting on was Chris, and um, Sean might also stop in. I was telling the boys, Tim, that we're going to be discussing time. I know there was an article I posted last week. I can't remember exactly which one it was because I posted two different ones. There was that quantum one and there was another one about all of it happening at once, I think. And I don't know. I couldn't remember if it was you and Chris who were talking about it back and forth, which made me want to do the podcast. I couldn't find it. Yeah, I I'd originally posted it and I think that uh, Chris Burrell and I got into a discussion about it. And I know, David, you, you kind of chimed in a little bit on it and... Jay, I know you did. Well, kind of chimed in. <laughs> it's an interesting concept, the way they were looking at it. I'll have to pull up the article again to remind me of what particular spin it was. You know, time is an esoteric construct, really. If you think of time in the sense of a clock or, you know, passage of time, that's one way to think of it. Time is intertwined with space in the Einsteinian approach to it. General relativity, time and space are the same substance. It's a measurement of distance and relative to position in space. So one thing that really doesn't get accounted for in, in those models is, is the unevenness of space, which Einstein's theory points out that, you know, if you have a massive object, it distorts space, which distorts time. Time will actually, time speeds up. So, yeah. Anything that has a rest mass is subject to A, the universal speed limit, which is the speed of light, and B, subject to time. Things that are massless uh, or have no rest mass don't experience time and aren't subject to those speed limits. That's something that a lot of people kind of get twisted around. And things do break the light speed barrier in certain mediums. Now that's, I want to clarify that. Anybody that's uh, worked around a reactor before or has toured one or seen one that, you know, may have peered through some really thick glass and seen a reactor core in, in water that's active, it glows. And that is Chikarnoff radiation is what that's called. The reason for it is the electrons zipping off of those rods are traveling at faster than light in water. Now, light speed in a vacuum is different than light speed in water. But they, they're traveling at faster than light speed in water. It causes a shock wave, much like you see, you know, if you've ever seen a fighter jet break the sound barrier and you see that big cone of condensate come across it's a shock wave that, that develops across of it and that's what causes that radiation so it never exceeds actual light speed in a vacuum but it exceeds light speed in water you know when you have a time and dimensional changes at near light speed that's only done so that light speed cannot be exceeded so for instance if you shot a rifle in the same direction of travel you could potentially exceed light speed so the dimensions in the direction of travel and the time seen from an outside observer are changed just so it never exceeds, you know, C. 
the weird thing is though is that is it really is it really light speed that determines time and everything you know we see galaxies billions of light years in the past and we know that their light is is ancient and we're seeing them as they were billions of years ago but that doesn't mean that they're that way now of course they're they're up to speed current time they're way different than what we're seeing them now so is light really time it's definitely an assumption yeah Right, so maybe there's a speed of time, not light, but a speed of time or itself. vibration that results in the change, the changes right, in time. Right, which would that would be the the speed of a wave in water, where the water is space time, and that's the assumption for light and massless particles that travel through space time. It's they're part of the fabric. They it's like electricity through a wire. So. <laughs> It's just a different way to think about it. We always have a mechanical way of looking at it, you know, like breaking it using a machine or something. So our concept of it changing is so different. Like we assume we're going to change our concept of time because of the thing that we're traveling. And so we're always looking at something in terms of velocity. So. Well, something that, you know, really kind of freaked me out when I first started looking at it, but particularly around light speed, a photon that has no rest mass. And you just mentioned a second ago, Chris, if we look at a, a star that's, you know, 10,000 light years away, we're seeing it. As it as it emitted like ten thousand years ago, so we're looking backwards in time in that sense. From the photon's perspective, it was both emitted and absorbed by your eyeball at the exact same instant because it doesn't experience time. And so, so, and that's and that's why I say it's part of the fabric itself, and that's possibly uh, why entanglement works because it's wired together at that more fundamental level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You get into entanglement now. It's a little different. Um, yeah, but but, uh, but it, I mean, it's all related. I think you know, in the sense of what what is space time? You know, what what's it made of? You know, the the fundamental forces of the universe collide and collude to to create. You know, everything that we see and experience and know or could know thus far, we you know, we we believe there are more fundamental forces and that we don't really understand gravity all that well. At least right. it, it works on the grander scales. It doesn't work on the quantum scale yet. And I think I posted an article about loop quantum gravity, too, that was an interesting thing. It does kind of jive with, with relativity on a quantum scale, which is exciting. If string theory is the next best candidate. You know, there's there's still a lot of work to be done there as far as truth. Well, what was being said earlier about measuring time by vibration and unique vibration or whatever. And the thing about that, like, even, even measuring vibration, sort of a very minuscule detail level, you'll find that, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, say, say you take um, two carbon atoms to measure the vibration, determine time dependent on the vibration of the carbon atom. If you move a carbon atom slightly, you're going to, you know, you're going to find that actually it's recording time slightly differently in that location than it was in its previous location. Two carbon almost atoms comes down to the observer type effect. On the same time. So, so, not, so yeah, it is entirely... You have to have a frame of reference from which to experience it. How much of time it is subjective and how much of it is objective? Yeah, is there actually really a, any definitive point that we can call now? Well, yeah, if you look at biological time, as opposed to, like, the time in nature, the time in the universe, they don't line up. I mean, the rules are different for it's, it's, the, the it's physics once we exceed really. our world. Yeah, yeah. it seems yeah. to be more positional. And, and the thing about time, though, and the quantum stuff, and this is uh, the most interesting thing I feel about it, is that all the other forces have quanta. You know, you have lights, you have gravitons, you have all these particle versions of the wave form. Time doesn't. They've measured as far, as deeply and as precisely as possible, and 
there is no granulation of time. It's a fine stream of, of progression. And they think now that it's, uh, it's down to plank time, which is the distance you know, light takes to travel a plank length, which is like the smallest distance possible in the quantum mechanics. So it's different. Time is not the same as the other forces. It's like baked in. Some are saying that the matter caused it. And if you think about the Big Bang, matter, space, and time, inflation, and then kept expanding at a slower rate. It's like space-time is the canvas and matter is the paint. But the canvas requires the paint, not the other way around. At least that's the, the jive I've gotten out of it. Yeah, something that's interesting I've, I've been thinking about recently, you, you kind of thinking about this this uh, podcast is, and I think somebody mentioned it on Facebook here the other day about how you experience time, you know, your personal experience of time. So if you're doing something that's that you enjoy, time seems to just disappear, you know, it goes very fast. And if you're doing something you really hate, then it tends to slow down. How, how does consciousness and our awareness play into our experience of time is an interesting that's uh, totally what I was getting at too, man. Like, cause biologically, when you think about it as a contrast between you and aging, you know, I mean, aging is not based on clock time. It's based on stressors and all these other elements. The quality of time is, is another big part of it. It's not the years, it's the mileage. Yeah, you could love something and time could go slow too. And that's what's so amazing about it is that you can speed up, slow down time, not only according to preference, you know. So, so we're talking about um, time, you know, time and relativity. So time, time is something I've always thought of as essentially you know, a human way of trying to gain some kind of sense to energy transforming into another. And human consciousness is essentially you know, chemical energy from one form to another, you know, creating electrical discharges, which then go through a nervous system. So, just theoretically, if you look at time passing you know, more quickly or more slowly through our perception, because chemical reactions are occurring more frequently or less frequently within our brain, and that's then in relativity to the universe and the, the rate of reaction, you know, en energy reactions in the universe around us, we then, that then affects our perception of how time is passing for us because of the difference the rates of reactions in our brain. Does that make sense? It does. Sure. I think for me, it's more of how much I've thought of or processed within unit time. So if I process a lot more than usual, like after I hit a B or something, then, uh, then time dilates because I'm thinking about a lot more than I usually would. So the brain has a baseline. And, and if you're thinking... Process. Yeah, so it's, a, it's more about how much did you put in the machine... The machine took longer, but objectively, it's the same amount of time. It's just the perception of you've done more, well, so it must be longer. I think you can stretch it, you know. I mean, the way Tim was talking about it, like you said, dilate. And that's another thing that fascinates me about how the eye is responsive to the nervous system. The parasympathetic system tends to dilate the eye and uh, the pupil. And then when you have the, the more of the feed and breed and the relax uh, functions, it tends to constrict. So you could, in theory, uh, and I think that you could find data to s connect this with, you could find out that people that experience that slowdown factor, 
not necessarily because they hate what they're doing. I, I think that you can also find a moment in nature, let's say that you're enjoying and everything tends to slow down. And you're like, wow, that lasted forever, you know, and that was only 10 minutes and that happens all the time in meditation. So I'm sure uh, people can relate to that. You would find out that there is a direct connection between activating the parasympathetic as opposed to the sympathetic. I, for some reason, the sympathetic always makes me think fight flight, but it's, it's that it, it's the opposite. So parasympathetic fight flight sympathetic is the uh the regeneration process you know like healing relaxing that type of a thing um healing so like if you get into that zone it makes sense that you would be experiencing that slow that slow concept i mean opiates probably trigger the same type of uh, effect the slowing down of time it, uh, yeah I, they do i was actually <laughs> you know i i <laughs> have chronic pain so i've experienced opiates in the past i no longer take them uh you know i was taken off of them with through the va and opiates on themselves actually cause more problems with pain long term. They're good for acute pain, like surgical pain, but no good for chronic pain. Uh, you ever well, like try them in small amounts? I'll take it like twice a week, like six to eight grams, and you know I don't really feel like any kind of like uh, addictive effects to it. But don't you think that's fascinating? How the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system seems to be the way to triangulate time in terms of a human reference point. It is interesting. I mean, your sympathetic nervous system is basically all of your sensor nerves in your body what would be the evolutionary advantage yeah i mean there's 45 miles of sympathetic nerves in the average human body well uh, sure we can dissect it that way but i mean like when we're experiencing specific types of experiences yeah, yeah. and a certain mode kicks in it's like getting into one of those zones or qual you know making it into different types of qualities you know almost seems a way to cheat hyper time in a way you know hyper awareness i always look at this in the sense of like the parasympathetic nervous system, like in a fight flight response, and it, you know, the reason people have PTSD is, is part of this problem. You have such amount of recall. It, it's kind of like taking a, a camera in, you know, or a movie camera, going from the standard rate or whatever, how many frames per second that is to, to look normal to way more frames per second, which slows down your perception. It slows the, you know, the pictures down. You're taking it frame by frame. You can see small instances and it gives you your body time to react and respond become you you become hyper aware of things you know it's your perception of the same linear timeline that, that somebody else is experiencing but you're experiencing it differently than somebody else's the awareness really decides the passing if you think about it i mean we can always say that we could agree on the metric uh, measurement of it but right. the awareness of it determines the quality what you're talking about is not only there's a difference between winning the game and psyching timeout and Re getting off the playing field and getting out of the system completely and where time becomes immaterial and that's more of the, the metaphysical aspect where time really does perhaps not that I've been there or anything but I think that might be what you're referring to there is a difference well like we have terms in, in society like age expectancy and whatnot and I think these words condition us to think that time is linear when in essence it's also a based on it's based on all the stressors and all the the crazy shit we have to go through and how quickly that shit uh, ends up stressing us right. and taking our systems down. You know, so it's not really time that does it to us. It's not time it at all. It depends on the observer, you know, so time is relative in that sense. But, you know, it also depends on what you're going to do uh, or what your measurement is for. Like I said earlier, you know, is it a passage of time that you're looking for or is it a position in space that you're looking for, <laughs> you know, so. I think a good example of that is, um, so when you're traveling really, really fast on the highway, so you're doing I think, oh, sorry. Yeah, the traffic's doing like, up to say, 70 miles an hour. Um, your, your perception kind of shifts and it, it feels like you have a longer 
like a second feels like a lot longer than it actually is. It happens in martial arts all the time, even in music. You know, it's it's definitely a common phenomenon when you get in the zone. Well, you've driven down yeah. the road, and ten minutes later, you cannot even remember what you just drove through. You were just on autopilot. You have no idea no, not, what you not just quite did. Like that. No, not I have. Mean, I've I've done that, and it's weird. Not, no, not the autopilot thing. Not at all. I mean, like when you're super focused. There's a slowdown fa factor too. That's what you're talking about. You're talking about like a slight change, like like in a wreck when you're seeing the glass and dust yeah. flying through the air. I've I have images in my head of stuff like that. Yeah, know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And I just talked it. to a lady that went through that, just barely, barely survived it, and she described the whole experience in vivid detail, holding her face together, and you know, getting to a, a point after like a crash with a with a semi um, on a motorcycle and. It was an insane experience, but that's a perfect example of it. It's like there really is a slow-mo. There's a change in the factor of time being experienced. And that's probably the processing speed of the input system, just like a high-speed camera sucking down every single thing in the, in the name of survival is my guess. And so you're cramming so much into the cranium because you're in that hyper-adrenaline mode of, you know, you're going to die. You, you just use the other 80% of your brain or whatever it may be. Well, yeah, you jump to the parasympathetic system. We posted that kind of started this whole thing, I think, is time is the result of quantum entanglement. Correlation. Yeah, so I, I, I don't have the article in front of me, but I, I recall what it was about. Yeah, me too. It, it basically is, you know, so kind of like in the sense of, and I think they used a cup of coffee as, a, as an example. If you have a hot cup of coffee. This is also entropy thermodynamically. So that you know, there's another way of looking at time. It's the ultimate, you know, heat loss of the universe. But the cup of coffee, if you set it in the room, goes from hot to room temperature as it becomes entangled with its environment. And the only way to I mean you can heat it back up, but that requires an input of energy. And all things that interact with the environment change the environment and the environment changes the things. As they become entangled, is I think is the theory of, it. and it's it's basically the third arrow of time is was the issue, uh, what they were talking about, what causes the the arrow of time to point in one direction, and it doesn't seem like you can go backwards, other than the fact that you can see a star that's you know it's light from a star that's ten thousand years old. That's the only <laughs> example I can think of seeing backwards in time, but it's only now, you know, you only experience now. You don't live in the past, you can't go back there, and you can't jump into the future either. Time, in, in that sense, and that, it only goes one direction, so it's, it's got one flow. Only thing eternal is now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you only live now. I mean, in the sense of you can't really... A lot of people don't get that, I mean, in the sense of... You could technically say you're always in the future, though. The things you do now in that... Kind of semantics, you know, So, uh, <laughs> if you do things badly, then you, your future is not so great. <laughs> so this is one of those things. That, it depends on how you live this this moment. You know? Everything I do is in the past, you know, technically. So you could argue in any one of those, on any one of those being an extremity, I think. I think the article was talking, not specifically, but I think they used the word maybe, but the irreversibility, what makes time irreversible? Why can't it go backwards? Why does it flow in one direction? And when something is in proximity to something else, doesn't really matter what it is, they become correlated, just be like a Bose-Einstein condensate you know, superposition. Everything correlates and becomes kind of like a super particle overall, depending on the, the scope of what you're looking at. And they become entangled on the quantum level. And it's not entropy. It's the 
becoming familiar with one another. And they do that because they can only become more familiar with each other because they can't become less familiar. And uh, I, I know that's a weird way to put it. Yep. No, that's, that's, that's great. In a sense, that ties into the, you know, a couple of theories and you know, quantum mechanics and information theory and, and a few things. And it's true, I mean, you kind of need to use a bunch of disciplines to really describe it or somewhat understand it. The other thing that kind of drives me nuts about science, I'm all about the scientific model and the method. You know, it's always open-ended and it can change if you get new information. But the mining focus in one discipline fails to take into account other things. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's kind of like a doctor, you go to a podiatrist, you know, they only do feet. It's like my feet hurt. Well, it could be caused from a muscle spasm somewhere else in your body or there could be something else going wrong uh, a human body is a whole system it's not a but just a put you know so it kind of drives me nuts that when people it's good to have specialists but the specialists tend to get narrowly focused sometimes and i think that people latch onto that narrow focus they emulate that yeah yeah they can't see outside their lane and it's just like well there's a time to stay in your lane <laughs> but, you know, there, there's also a time to think out of the box too that's just reality Everything is is kind of in one big old soup pot, you know. In this, in that sense, well, that's uh, why I that's why I like this correlation theory because it it it's at the boundary of the stuff that we're not perceived or we're not we're not equipped to perceive, right? So it's something that makes sense and ties into some other things we know, but it can't be used for physical applications and design or anything because it doesn't work in math. You know, you can't get rigorous results out of it yet like you could with uh, entropy equations and stuff like that so it's conceptual to a large degree but it sounds good there's a whole range of things that we're just on the edge of but they're just ideas that are unprovable you know most of the theories of everything and so forth are unprovable i think that you know as we advance with quantum computing and, and, and those types of things those unsolvable equations become solvable so you know i think that our technology is is a little further along than most people think about. Really, take a look at DARPA's website, please. Go out oh. there, knowledge, but you know the crap they're doing. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> what DARPA is doing, man. I know, yeah. DARPA is, is <laughs> they're using it for the wrong things, though. Is in my mind, in the sense you're, that you're right about that. It's not in your mind. <laughs> it's yeah, well, in many minds. yeah. The agency exists for the wrong reason, in the sense of, of the stuff that they're doing. They're just doing it to see what they what they can develop, you know, and. And then, you know, the question is, is can it be a weapon? You know, <laughs> I think that's the wrong question to ask. Exactly. I was going to say that the issue is, is not that time can't be grasped or that it doesn't make sense when we're doing these things. It's because, it's because science has the wrong motive in understanding time. It's trying, the, the, there's a control aspect in science the way it's evolved today. And the desire to control it is taming the intent. Uh, so that's why it seems so far out of everybody's grasp. That's what I think. I agree with that. I thought that was a good time for me to tap in because I was going to talk about the quickening. And you were talking about how uh, science basically wants to try and control everything or make sense of everything. And I believe that was actually the intent behind the calendar days and the seven days of the week and 365 days in the year and all of these other things was to try and basically create a framework that would make time constant. Then a matrix, yeah. Yeah, time is not constant. If we if we consider what it is, time is by definition, it's really a unit of measure between two happenings. That's really the best way to describe it because there has to be an event and another event in sequence, and then we're measuring the gap between those two things. 
oscillation uh, dissonance, yeah. Right. To get an, an idea of how fast time is moving or how slow time is going, the best or the, the most accurate way to get a real true sense of that is to look at the trend between happenings. One of the ways that I try to break this down is when we look at the development of human consciousness in the very, very early stages. Now, I don't remember which it was that came first, whether it was like burying the dead or developing clothes or artwork on cave walls. What I do know is that, you know, let's say the very first thing we did was started writing on cave walls before we developed clothes, and then the next thing was clothes, and then the next thing was farming or something. The measure between those two events, according to the fixed time that we've created, was considerably longer between the first development and the second development. So that would be like an ever network, you know, the first evolutionary jump from man, you know, developing the first tool to creating clothing. It had been 10,000 years. And so we're measuring the, the speed of evolution of humanity by the decrease in those events. So it might have been uh, 5,000 to get to the next evolutionary jump. And then it was only 2,500. And then it was 1,250 years. And now we're at a state in human evolution. People don't like to think that we're continually evolving. I don't know. They, I, I think people think that evolution is like a, uh, a generational thing, that we're not actually evolving in real time in our physical bodies. If we take a look at how many evolutionary jumps, because those are basically scientific discoveries, right? The number of scientific discoveries that humanity makes per year is increasing all the time. So that means the number of happenings per year are increasing. So we're looking at a year as if it's the same measure. If time is actually a measure of the sequence of happenings between events, well, we've had a whole ton more discoveries in the last year. It's not taking us 5,000 years to make the next evolutionary jump anymore. And so time, because of that, is relative to how fast we're developing. So it seems that memory is a primary function that it hardly gets discussed uh, because right. of the technological constraints now that are giving us all these advantages, but it's like nobody discusses memory. Right, and that gets put into our DNA, I think. And that's why we're continually speeding up, because we're learning from these past behaviors, and, and collectively we're kind of putting them together. And as we develop something new, that becomes integrated into our DNA, and that's now part of our general makeup. It's part of our toolkit. Which, you know, the more tools we have, the more we can accomplish. And so everything just gets easier and easier and easier, faster and faster and faster. And I think very much like you said, quantum computing, you know, we're at a stage now where it is very, very difficult to know just how far technology can actually take us. So a lot of these unanswerable questions that we have, you know, a lot of people believe there is no answer to, I believe we're going to be getting the answers to. It's really interesting. I think... Um... A couple of things that popped into my head while you were talking about regional measurements of time is basically a what's well, a year you know it's one rotation around our local star time is relative to our position on earth so how we observe that event is is one rotation of the earth so we establish these measurements of what they are and in, in subdivided time and i was just taking a peek at nist which is the national institute of standards and time uh, if you want to take a look at that, anybody, N-I-S-T. And they are the source of time measurement for most nations, I mean, the United States particularly, and they, they use an atomic clock. And how that works, earlier atomic clock, atomic clocks were just frequency measurements of the decay of an atom and how many electrons it's emitting over time, and they know a specific decay rate. The newer, more accurate atomic clocks are 
bathed in a microwave background and the atoms are super cool to near absolute zero with lasers and they can sample a larger amount of electrons. So it's basically based in frequency in the sense of how many electrons are moving from one energy level to the next in standard model physics. So it, it's an interesting way that official time is, is derived and it scales up from that and I think it's 10 to the negative 14th of a correction, plus minus, uh, you know, down in the nanosecond scale over a day, you know, in the sense of how accurate it is, which is interesting in the sense of our, our orbit around the star and our rotation can certainly be impacted. So what happens if, if, if that's impacted? Do we have to adjust time? You know? Yes, we do, really. <laughs> I mean, in our the technical use of it, global positioning systems have to use very accurate time to, to be able to pinpoint a location. And the fact is, those satellites are in a lighter gravity well than you are on the surface, and they're orbiting at a, at a fairly fast velocity. So the satellite's experience of time and your experience of time are two different frames of reference, and you have to correct for that, for that to accurately determine the position. If you don't, then you'll be miles and miles off where it says you are. So that's an interesting thing is in, in the sense of relativity is, what your frame of reference is really impacts your experience of time. You know, it sounds like we're talking about uh, three different facets of it. You've got the physical objective time as dictated by the rate of atomic interactions and so forth. You've got the social version of it, what makes society work, what's convenient, matrix or whatever. And then uh, the time that involves perception and consciousness. And I think it's important to make a distinction. You know, the objective physical time has the relativistic effects and all that, which are weird enough. Um, yeah, cosmic, natural, and biological time. Yeah, yeah. The, the social stuff is based on our little tiny eye blink of time on this planet, and everything seems constant, but it's far from it. We're just, we're here so, so little, we don't, you know, we're not used to the huge changes. You know, the solar system is like a third generation star or something like that. Yeah, uh, we're conditioned out of that for sure. Right, and it's just like uh, up until the last uh, ice age, the climate was all over the map, everywhere. It looks like a, a mountain range you can see in the graph, but 10,000 years ago, it all smoothed out. And we got this nice climate, and that's why there's so many of us right now. The uh, conscious part of it is something totally different. Uh, of course, that's yeah, we've talked about that. But well, when you guys say that you can't go forward in time or you can't go back, I, I look at it almost like a HUD. When you're in a situation, and all these things are happening and all these interactions, uh, not necessarily only at the social level, but your thoughts and everything that are hitting you, they hit you kind of like a series of potentials. And you might not know where you were just at, but you can, you can see a future type events, not, not in a literal sense. I mean, that's trained from entertainment and all that type of shit, but we can come up with probabilities based on actions. I just don't think people want to see that. And that's why the now mentality to me doesn't really, isn't something I'm that interested in because I do like to see and be able to calculate because I can see sort of a string of things happening. And I, I try to make decisions based on what string seems the most uh, beneficial. So I, I think we do in a sense see the future, um, well, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. You can go forward in time. That's totally doable. And that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, all you got to do is, is go real fast and come back. No, that's and, true. And then you know, you'd be gone for a year and 50 years went by here. Just run real fast into a wall until you get it down. Yeah. Oh, it's just the relativistic effects. You'd experience mm -hmm. time dilation versus the people you left on Earth. So if you went 0.99% of the speed of light, 
towards Orion and turned back after a year and came back, you may find that 10, 15, 20, 30 years pass here, but it was one year for you. So going forward in time is eminently doable. You just got to have a shift that can go pretty pretty quick. Going and that's because the rules change once you go into space. So those physics well, no, time if, don't if apply you, once we... You could go around the Earth at the speed of light or close to, and the same thing would happen. You could be 100 miles up just going round and round like Superman or something, and you could be going slow, and the people on the surface of the Earth would, you know, the normal time. And So it's not space itself. It's the speed through space-time that you're traveling. That's called a velocity dilation as opposed to gravity dilation of time when you're close to a gravitational mass like a black hole or, or anything. So like airline yeah. pilots uh, live a couple of seconds shorter than if they stayed on the ground their whole lives. The Doppler effect of if a star looks red or if a star looks blue, it's blue shifted or red shifted, it's traveling towards you or traveling away from you. It's your relative position as, to, as compared to the speed and travel of that star. Or the light from that song. The one thing I was thinking of that I think that Jay was touching on is I think that, you know, Jay, particularly, yes, I understand what you're saying. If you're looking at probabilities in the present, now there's this or there's that or there's both or there's, you know, either or there, <laughs> there's lots of quantum probabilities. It, and all of nature behaves this way. People think, you know, action consequence, and that's inference. We learn inference over, over time uh, as we age. Another thing about aging is, is the older you get, the faster time seems to go. The cellular replication worsens, um, I think, mostly because we don't take a conscious approach to interacting with our biologies. I, I think that is a, a key factor that if that was taught, which it won't, that would increase uh, your longevity as a species. I don't get why science doesn't make that their primary focus. It's always for the military sector. Well, it's either profit or weaponization, I think, has been the primary drivers of most science on our planet, uh, which is sad. <laughs> yes, it's so somebody who comes up with a we don't explore things for the joy and the sake of exploring them or, or discovery you know which there are many scientists that really become scientists because of that but you know they they have to earn money to live and the mm -hmm. systems that we built reinforce those types of things that's on us really all of us to try to change that paradigm to say look you know we don't we don't need to be all about profit and war well, if you took a, a group of like young people and you gave them a controlled atmosphere from which to live and you minimize the stressors and you gave them healthy food and you did all these types of things. And of course, people say, oh, it's a cult. But essentially, culture is a cult, too. It's just that we're all in it. And you went 30 years into the future and, and these people had the minimized stressors. They had the good food and all these other types of things. You would see that in 30 years, they wouldn't have aged in the same respect to everybody else around them outside of that controlled atmosphere, that controlled environment or that study. So time really isn't a factor. It's about the things that these people would have done if they weren't in a controlled environment with the ideal circumstances. So, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I was another thing about, you know, the reason that I think you experience time faster as you age is you've experienced more of it. Uh, you know, so your frame of reference is you have a, a bigger field to look at or, a, you know, a great big pot. What used to be, if you if you think of this, you know, if your pot was only eight ounces big and you, you took a little ladle, you could fill it up really quickly. The time is just your little eight ounce pot. And as time grows on, your pot gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it takes a lot more to fill that pot up, which makes your frame of reference seem to go faster and faster and faster. Mm -hmm. Well, plus the quality of what per a person expects to do uh, diminishes based on their, their their concept of their self-image as they get older because of the breakdown factor. I think a lot of people become uh, autonomous and drone-like 
just due to that factor. Holy shit, you know, I'm not, I'm not in an optimal state of functioning. So oh, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I've experienced it, you know, in the sense of I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy to exist in society and just do the things you need to do to get along and, and, and move yeah. on to the next, you know, year. It is kind of sad in, in the sense of that we've structured the way we live this way. And we use time as a measure of productivity in society, you know, and I agree with Chris that you need to be distinct in the sense of the way you're talking about time. There's different uses of time. It's hard to describe as one particular thing when it has so many different uses or different measurements. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of factors involved in how big the hole is in the hourglass. Is maybe a different way to think about it. You know, sometimes the hole is big, sometimes it's small. And I think there's a lot of things that go into that. You know, there's a couple of weird things in uh, history and even modern science that uh, don't make a lot of sense, like the king's list, the Akkadian king's list. You know, guys living 30,000 years Latin, of course. Most people think that's a translation error. probably is, but, you know, Methuselah and all that stuff. Why they live so long? What's the deal there? And then... Well, modern- if they traveled ahead and came back and they had the technology, it would appear that they aged uh, that Very long. Good, yeah. but- could be. You know? Maybe maybe they came. They went out and they came back, and it was thirty thousand. They're still alive, dang it! Time travelers, you know. Yeah, but exactly. people interpreted it as oh, thirty thousand years old. Mm. Yeah, but see, then you run into a problem of uh, cultural memory. Are they going to remember some thirty thousand year old guy? The other thing is that if people that are uh, kept apart from the circadian rhythm, though, you know, either out in space or uh, in an environment, um, you know, Earth or something, they always settle on twenty four point nine hour days which is the same day as on Mars. And so that gives people the idea that that's where we came from. And, you know, I'm not discounting that or supporting it either way. It's just interesting. That's wild. Yeah. It yeah, is fascinating. So, and that relates to what you were talking about, about the uh, the DNA memory, about, you know, what does that give us? What does that tell us about where we're from? Why is it different? Um, like, so much of this is technologically uh, uh, based, you know? I mean, like, how, how we're trying to figure out to manipulate everything by creating, like, a tool but I mean, like, we ha- I don't know if we're ever going to look at ourselves as a tool ever again as a human being. I mean, like, you can manipulate the genetics, yeah, but I mean, seeing a human being as a tool in and of themselves, a consciousness as a tool, I think those days are dead. Yeah, if I follow you, I'm not sure. That's the real tragedy. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope they are. I often think about, you know, well, we, we were enlightened at one point as a species. You know, we had the Library of Alexandria, and then, then the Dark Ages came. <laughs> you know, so... If you read the uh, Sitchin books, and if you take them for granted, you know, the Akkadian stuff, it's, uh, we it's, were actually created as a slave race to begin with. Yeah, and, that's uh, some amazing so stuff. It is, and whether it's true or not, I don't know, but sometimes it's, you know, it's another data point. And it makes more sense from the religious standpoint, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you gotta take all of it and, and understand how that could have come about, how that, yo, yeah, but there's a, there's a thread of truth through all that stuff in some way. Right. You know, everything refers to something else, and you just gotta see the patterns. Even in religions, I mean, you know, Hindu texts speak about the, the gods that did battle with, basically describes a nuclear war, and we see evidence of what would have required a nuclear detonation. There, the Maharata, isn't that the how, how did that happen? And, you know, like we don't understand the pyramids very well. You know, even the Bible talks about the chariots of Ezekiel, the church of fire. Uh, you know, these are probably UFOs, some advanced technology that is being described in a primitive language by a primitive culture, if you think critically about it any, anyway. 
not literally, but critically. And the text was written to a specific people in a specific time, in a specific place, and they used certain ways to describe things. Like, who is it? Arthur C. Clarke that said that, you know, any technology that's sufficiently advanced will appear like magic, you know, <laughs> to, to most Or has civilization just risen and fallen several times, even Right, I think it has. I mean, I believe it has. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's you know, That's it's right. not been recorded in some places, or it's been lost, and we just we see some evidence of it, but you know, we don't know what to make of it because there's it's no against the rules of the game somehow. <laughs> right, right. You know, there's radar images of that uh, pyramid complex, two thousand feet underwater at the tip of Cuba, and the radar images are pretty unmistakable. It's really hard to see it as anything else, and uh, two thousand feet underwater, so that makes it. You know, during the height of the last ice age, it was, you know, and they say 50,000 years is what the geologists say. So, but you see that stuff all over the place. There's the one they discovered off India that's uh, where Vishnu came from or wherever. That's a real place. They thought it was mythological. So there's a tremendous amount underwater they're finding. And so a lot they of weren't even teaching about pyramids in that many places of the world when I was growing up. I mean, to be honest, it, it was more of an Egyptian thing. I mean, yeah, they talked a little bit about the Mayans, but. Now that you've got all these pyramids in China and everywhere else, it's just like all of these types of monuments, and it yeah, just why, doesn't why seem the, right. Why the similarities? Yeah, and they weren't all talking to each other, supposedly. Mm. Yeah, allegedly, supposedly. It's interesting. We've mentioned a few things in here. Orbits. We were talking about orbits and rotation, and that is how we keep our our time. Is we judge it by reoccurring occurrences. And I find it now we are talking about pyramids, which a lot of them are allegedly. I don't know if this is true or false, or you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But synced up with stars as well, or said to be some sort of timekeepers. Did you it's say pyramids? I, you broke up on my end for a minute. Were you referring to the pyramids as being uh, markers? Positionally, they they represent the positions of the stars in the sky, and they have the vents that point to the two stars and so forth. They don't point to them anymore because of the precession of our axis and the three perturbations of our orbit, but that was the original intent. So there was definitely an awareness of the stars as to whether there was some intrinsic link, cosmic link, and all that, you know, who knows. I think that, you know, what you had mentioned, Brittany, the stars and pyramids being aligned, and since particularly the, the Great Pyramids of Giza is a classic example, there's a couple of, of synchronicities there with those pyramids particularly. They are uh, very precisely aligned with the Orion's Belt, the three stars in, in Orion's Belt. And the other interesting fact about those pyramids is they're their coordinate on Earth, you, you look it up, I mean, in the sense of latitude-longitude, before we understood, historically speaking, in a sense of written history, before we understood, you know, longitude, the coordinates of those pyramids equate to the speed of light in a vacuum, which is... They're also uh, right at the center of mass of the land mass on the planet. So if you found the geometric center of all the mass, you know, the continents, that's where it is. So I think the dimensions also add up to the actual measurement of the perimeter of Earth. So Somebody's saying with the measurements on the pyramids, speed of light, that's all a human construct, though. So we, we developed the, so someone decided, oh, this is going to be what the measurement is, and this is going to be zero, and we're going to progress around from zero being here. Oh, and that happened to... I agree, David. That could definitely be coincidental, you know, in a sense. Of, but it is kind of funny, and it's sense right. of... Uh, yeah, I don't know that that was, was, you know, understood before, but, he, you know, it, he, it matches our understanding now, and that seems to be pretty coincidental. Hey, it, uh, could be a, it could be a time traveler Easter egg type thing. 
they said, you know, this will equal this when they invent the meter. It makes sense now, but it didn't until... Now, that is an out for that, if uh, you wanted to hold it as true. Otherwise, it is a construct. Well, life is stranger than fiction. Exactly. So, who knows? Uh, they might know about the meter. Maybe I mean, we can postulate about it, but we're also actors in, in this scheme of things. I mean, we're also, like, we all have these specific functions in this. So, to act as if we're just uh, theorizing on it, it is almost silly because we're all just as much of a part of the whole massive thing as anything else. I, I yeah, lost my train of thought. But <laughs> I do that all the time. A lot of the experiments now, they build the observer in. It's taken into account uh, every time, especially with particle physics, of course, but uh, even others. Uh, Which is why science falls short in so many cases, because they they're too much in the objective role that they can't be a part of their own. You know what I mean? I mean, they can't. the scientist can't experiment on himself. You know. No, that's why you have double-blind and triple-blind experiments and stuff like that to try to get them out of the equation, and you have other things observed instead of humans. It's the outside of the box when you're in the box. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, Dave. In the sense oh, of, yeah, like, for specific things, though, you can't have that. If you're going to develop consciousness, you have to develop consciousness from the inside out because you find out that everything outside is a consequence of what's within. So, yeah, that, that doesn't really apply objectively. That short film, it could be just you. It could be just you, and this is all just all for you. No, oh, man. I know. It's pretty weird. God complex time. <laughs> well, well, no. I mean, this universe, the whole thing is just for your development. That's it. it I get it. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's so weird to extricate that. It becomes a form of surrealism. I think that's, that's an issue with technology and a lot of stuff, is that there's this tendency towards a surrealistic mentality like even with people that practice altered consciousness there's always that surreal aspect like where do you how far do you take it how far down the rabbit hole do you go well you could go pretty far if you had some sense and some rooting we're definitely discussing the things that wouldn't factor into making decisions because there's too many probabilities but very good point. <laughs> there is a man and i forget his name and he has a theory that all time, and I know a lot of people say all time is at once, past, present, and future all occurs at once. These theories more as movie frames. I have heard the frames per second concept of how, I, I already forgot, like what is the, the amount of frames per second that we can see? Is it like eight? Four, 30. Four to 30. That's all that we can see. And above that, uh, that's what I have heard, but I'm, I'm not specifically sure about the theory that you were talking about. I'm, I know the analogy. I think you're different. talking about the block universe, and we mentioned that uh, mm. in that one uh, discussion, but it's just like a big block of frames, and if you had the technology, you could zoom around any position in any frame, and so it's just a big stack of frames, and that's where they get the, the term block universe. I well, guess. There's like this psychic uh, function that tries to come through all the time with people, but it's like, do we ever listen to it, you know? I mean, like, I, I next door, my next door neighbors, their house practically just like burned down the other day, and it's just like, I thought to myself, like, holy shit, you know, how many chances did these people have to avoid this scenario? And not to make it sound mystical, but there's things every day that we don't listen to. Um, don't understand any of it. I saw the mask thing before it happened. I was having these horrible dreams about people, like, coming with masks and all these, like, weird, like, shootings oh, yeah. and shit. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And then the week, a week later, you know, the, the whole, like, mask thing starts happening. Everybody's wearing them. I'm thinking, like, holy shit, man. It's like something was telling me this masquerade was on the way. 
there's all kind of little synchronicities that happen that that we or don't ex we can't explain very well or we haven't explained very well. Like particularly, in, you know, I think we get to talking about this in a super consciousness type of level. People are connected to a, a broader consciousness, and in, in that broader consciousness, things are knowable that wouldn't necessarily be knowable by an individual. I think it's measurable. There's several studies that have been done on it, like spontaneous development of a word or pieces of language in different languages that translates to the same thing uh, spontaneously appear around the planet sometimes and it usually particularly if there's a like a disaster like a, a big world event <laughs> they, they tend to see a lot more of those synchronicities because people tend to be focusing on one particular thing mm -hmm. um tunnel vision yeah reality um, tunnels but, you know, I think that's interesting in, in that respect. You know, you're talking about the frames in a sense of time. You know, there's another concept of time in the sense that it all exists at the exact same instant. It's kind of like a book. You know, so if the book is a book. You know, the book is time. So it, all, of the, all of the pages exist simultaneously. If you draw a little picture on each page and you flip through the page one way, it look like they're moving. And if you flip through the other way, they go the other way. But theoretically, every frame is a page, but it all exists as a book. There's one way to think of it, I think, in a sense. We almost have to step outside of time to appreciate it in a way. So there's um, a couple of bits I want to address. So we're talking about uh, you know, viewing time how viewing the universe as blocks and time as um, kind of a frames per second thing. Electric universe theory as well. So, you know, essentially, you know, thinking about electrical reactions and all things in atoms and between planets, etc. And the frames per second then in, in that sense of the way of looking at the universe, which is essentially electrical impulses, um, you know, the, the digital idea. Is it on or is it off? Which is essentially how a lot of the brain works. But yeah, I found that kind of, yeah, and you, so then the 30 frames per second is essentially the, the amount of ones and zeros you can get into a second. Uh, and this isn't something they're always testing either, as if like they don't know who, I mean, how will we know if th there was an exception at any point in terms for evolution or not? Earlier, I can't remember who it was, you were talking about um, like, you know, the social construct of time and the, the cosmic construct of time. I'm not sure if any of you remember the effect of the earthquake on the, on the rotation of the Earth actually shortened day by 1.8 microseconds, because it shifted on, on the axis by 17 centimeters. Which again, it you know, goes back to like uh, your position affecting time and the passage of it. I was going to do a thing where I was going to have like a 30 second rant basically, and then a 30 second silence so that people can kind of see the difference of the perception of time and basically awareness, how awareness can slow down time. I wonder, Tim, we mentioned timing and age earlier, if that might actually seem to slow down as you age, if you become more aware. I think that, yeah, well, I think that, as Jay has pointed out, it, it does depend in the sense of the person. I think with practice, you know, with meditation and with other things, particular focus, things that make you very present in the very now can make you focus and you can change your, your focusability as you practice it. I think that definitely impacts your ability to experience time in different rates. The, the frames per second and all that, and I was thinking about the guy who was blind but could walk through the maze anyway. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, he could literally walk through the maze, but he could see nothing. And they isolated like 12 different pathways in the mind that were active besides the visual regular pathways that interacted with the visual cortex. So not only do we have perceptions we that are hard to figure out as a point of consciousness, but we have perceptions we're not even aware of that are interacting with our surroundings. So 
we're a biological machine that doesn't even know all its features. And so no wonder it's difficult to get a handle on everything because our instrument doesn't even know what it's doing most of the time. So at 30 frames per second, you know, that's a movie frame rate. But they found, like with the 3D, like Oculus Rift and all that, they've got to get up close to 200 frames per second for it to prevent uh, the motion sickness. So the new versions of that coming out are ultra high frame rates. And it uh, probably doesn't get rid of it, all of it, but 30 frames is not enough. And even the Oculus is like 90. Well, they say in yoga, you're supposed to train the senses. The senses aren't supposed to train you. Well, I think it's just like anything, like playing a musical instrument. If you don't practice or you don't use that skill, you won't ever own it or you won't, won't ever develop it. And to your point, we don't even know parts of our perception in the sense of... Uh, the things that we're actually physically using. I mean, we don't understand what consciousness is really to a great degree other than its awareness, but what, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> since uh, exactly. uh, the person you know, that wants to, will where does it come from? You know, where, you know, those types of questions are, it's good to explore that type of stuff, but I think that we've advanced along. It's, 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 it's interesting. The things that we're learning nowadays, and it seems to be going faster and faster and faster and faster than I can certainly keep up with in the sense of what I used to be able to keep up with things. And I don't know if that's a you know, function of my age or if it's just the fact that we're going much faster now. Everything is moving. Right. I was going to say, I've heard that, or I've read that the reason why it seems that way is because when we're younger, we know we have so much life left. So we're not really judging that time as opposed to when we're older, we subconsciously know that we don't have that much left. So we can look back on our life and see a long time, but ahead is a lot shorter as opposed to when we're younger. It's the opposite. Yeah, it has, um, no, I'm trying to remember who it was. I did watch a talk once. It might have been on New Scientist Live. Um, basically, there was a guy talking about time and he basically concluded at the end of it that you know, time is essentially an emotional experience and the perspective of time is... Yeah, entirely emotional, because if you take the emotion out of time, there, there isn't really anything kind of left. Yeah, it seems rather meaningless if you do take that out. And I think that's, you know, part of our perceptions are our feeling. I mean, they, they definitely drive you to think or to act a certain way. You think that a lot of times when people, like, smell is a good memory eliciter. If somebody smells something that comes from your past and you get a vivid recall of what that is or a moment, then you also assign and attach emotions to that particular memory. I think that, yeah, yeah that's definitely a thing. I, you know, am I better than half a century on the planet, uh, for sure, in the sense of I look backwards and I think, well... Heck, you know, it was just yesterday I was in my 20s. <laughs> I was a teenager. I remember all this stuff just like it was yesterday. It's been, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. That's, it definitely is a function of perspective also. I was just wondering about how brain health then affects sort of perspective of time as you age. Does someone with, say, poor brain health, does time seem to drag out longer than someone with better brain health, you know, who can, say, think more clearly and remember things more clearly? Well, brainwave bandwidth changes dramatically from a young age up to adulthood. It's kind of well known, and I know a specific case where a gentleman got old and he got dementia to where he just pretty much was a baby. And he lived for a very long time after that because no stress, always had a smile on his face. He was totally at ease and no stressors. And uh, he lived for a very long time. So yeah. 
that's interesting in the sense of that you know we're so inculcated by society and our environment and everything that happened to us over a lifetime and if you can de-learn that then the, the actual physical result of living a lot longer because of you're not aware of that learning any further it's it's interesting i'll have to look at that <laughs> the guy in question was a nobel prize winning physicist he discovered the the tau muon or something like that uh leon letterman this guy well, was brilliant yeah. i'll take a look at it yeah for sure yeah i find that really interesting because um you know saying earlier about time measuring changing energy you know energy changing from one state to another and yeah you know, quick yeah you know, in relation to other parts of energy and Quickening time being the quickening, quickening of changing states of energy and the slowing of it being, you know, not as much is happening in relation to energy transfers and whatnot. So therefore, there's less less energy exchange or less change of energy, and therefore time seems slow. Mathematically, we can travel backwards in time. It works oh. out mathematically. At the quantum and, level. Well, I love quantum. <laughs> so many possibilities. But I was also going to. Exactly reverse every chemical reaction or you know that's happened, and exactly reverse every movement that occurred throughout the universe. Then yeah, you can travel back in time. If you travel back in time, so if you think about it as in terms of quantum entanglement, and, yeah, and everything's kind of connected to everything else. In that sense, then to take one thing back in time, you've got to take the entire universe back in time with it, like that flip book when you're flipping through the pages. Yeah, you've got that book of the universe that from like day one to the end. In, in that flip book, when you're flipping through the pages to get the story of time, and then you flip back through it and get it in reverse. You can't move a bit from one page out into another part. So you'd have to, you know, to travel back in time, you'd have to reverse everything with you exactly at the same time. Every reaction that's happened. But what if it all occurs at once? What I find fascinating is that if you do something in an area, high energy activity, or even a, a calm one, the residual vibration remains. So that isn't affected by time. So let's say you're having a really good experience in this specific area. If you're really keen and you go back to that area, you can feel that. And that's something that doesn't go away. So this, this vibrational thing energetically that we give off or that we take in isn't constricted by the same rules that we're talking about. I call it tactile, but it drives my brain crazy going through that. I think any dimension that doesn't have matter in it, time doesn't exist, and it all is there, accessible, whatever. And those are just the hairs width away from us. We just can't see. So that bounces in and out of our reality, just like we've been talking about the weird stuff. But I think something that somebody said just a minute ago about entanglement and going backwards and forwards in time, at the quantum level, the math does not care. At the macroscopic level, you get into irreversibility and stuff like that, and it does matter, appears to. So yeah, you can go forward in time. You can go to the future by traveling away and back at the speed of light. But what if you could uh, transport yourself through entanglement to a billion light years away? Well, you've just gone back in time because you're seeing Earth from a billion light years away instantaneously, taking yourself out of that frame of reference. So you're taking a one-way trip. So you've literally gone back in time. That's a weird thought. I, I don't know. I haven't. I actually had that down. I said, "What if you're on like a dying star?" But then, like, you fly to a new position, say Earth, and we're looking at Sirius, for instance, or around there, Betelgeuse, right? They would be then bathing in the light of their dead star. That would be traveling to the past, would it not? Yeah, and it would. I guess it would all I guess it's something we already know. If you can go faster than the speed of light, you can go back in time. 
So by entanglement and transporting yourself faster than light instantaneously to a distance away from your initial frame of reference, you are literally going. So well, yeah, then if you come back to your initial frame of reference, not that. That's that's what I was I hadn't processed yet. What would happen there? And that's what that's where it gets confusing. Yeah, exactly. So so what I find interesting are the limitations. To go back in time from everything I've read would take an infinite amount of energy to accomplish because it takes an infinite amount of energy to get to or bypass the speed of light. It also takes an infinite amount of energy to get something to absolute zero, no vibration, because basically you're telling it not to exist anymore in my head. That's the way I think about it. So there's all these limitations that can tell us a lot, and they are all intrinsically related to time and or existence, and you really can't separate the two. So all very interesting. So uh, Brittany, with relation to uh, everything happening at once? Yeah. Uh, well, so if, if, in, in that sense of time, you know, everything is all up then you can't travel in time, and technically there's no past and future. But should be able to, I guess, fold space-time. Wormholes. Yeah. No, yeah, wormholes is one, one way to think of it. I think it's um, a, a speculative. I'm not actually sure. Has anyone ever been able to identify a wormhole in space where something comes into one place and comes out another, and it's... Repeatable back and forth. They have uh, theoretical white holes that are the opposite of black holes, spewing matter, but that's probably into another universe or something else. But otherwise, no. And uh, the theories are exotic matter is necessary, and the equipment itself would be so big and that it would create a black hole on its own because it would take so much energy that the equipment would have to be like, you know, solar system size or something like well, that. Well, black holes do pulse out energy. Yeah. I was well, going to say, besides black holes. But that's that's from the accretion disk mainly. The the uh, poles spit out beams, and they do, through the uncertainty principle, emit radiation and so forth. You know, a particle doesn't know where it is. It's probable it, it might pop outside the event horizon. So that's how it emits radiation. But when the when it can't eat all the matter falling in, it shoots it out of the poles, and you get caught in one of those beams, you know, your history. If, if that's what you're referring to. Uh, I think that might be, yeah. I read something, actually, and I don't remember if it was about black holes or wormholes, but I'm pretty sure it was about black holes. Something about they've successfully have replicated sending information in a black hole or maybe some sort of something that we built and rebuilt the information on the other side. This was like a few months back. I'll have to find this article. I don't know how we simulated it, but apparently we did. Oh, uh, was that the CERN teleportation? I believe so. I mean, I think they were correlating it with that. It was basically just information. They had passed on information and was able to completely break it up like a black hole would and send it to a, somewhere else and reformat it, re-put it back together. Yeah, I think I remember reading that. that was yeah, I remember the article too. That, I don't think that was so much about black holes. I think to do with uh, quantum. I'm pretty sure it was a black hole that they were observing. Everything else escapes me. Yeah, supposedly all the information was spread out on the event horizon 2D, just like the holographic universe, all the information was spread out on the two-dimensional sphere. You know, a lot of theories do that. I think it's funny that we're always taught that it's only a destructive thing, like as if there couldn't be an exception to the rules of physics where there could be a wormhole uh, that wouldn't absolutely completely rip somebody apart, you know. 
could be habitable inside there for all we know. Time right. Like just walk uh, through it and poof, you're there somewhere. Yeah, else. there's actually some sci-fi books. I, I don't know if it's like a timeline, but it's, uh, it's about a species called the Heechi or something, and they have ships that can go through the event horizon. There's whole worlds and stuff in there. So well, it, if you uh, can imagine it, you know, just to yeah, say yeah. that it's not already in play. That's the thing about the psychic mindset is people don't, I think people are afraid of the imagination when they, when they come to something that just, that seems like fantasy, but who's to say they're not imagining something in reality? Right. And the hard right, uh, hard right turning guys, just because we're kind of on the subject a little bit real fast with, I do want to bring up or ask you guys your thoughts on the FBI or whoever saying, and just call it the government, that the UFOs that they have found are from not of this world. Time. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen this one. I mean... Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, right, this I think I've heard tons time. of things similar. It's interesting, like, you know, that the government's finally just stating it, you know, in the sense of, I don't know, or that they feel like society's just not going to freak out and lose its collective mind over this type of stuff anymore. Uh, it's already... Yeah, you know, so it... it I think the people that have experienced UFOs have known they're not of this world. <laughs> world, dimension, whatever. You, I don't know which one it is, but it's not news to some people that have experienced them. Uh, and that's a lot of people, really. So, uh, and a lot of people have read the lore and, you know, kind of are interested in the theories and stuff like that of it. But that's interesting that they're saying, no, we got actual physical spacecraft that are showed up here on our planet that, that are not made here or not here not from here which is interesting of the of the of the government to say that plausible okay. deniability yeah well, well that's a whole thing they they've there's a big media push if you just observe the media and you can see through some things and what they're doing there over the last two years and especially the last six months they're really letting a lot out and pushing it and so somewhere up in the chain of command some type of green light has been given I don't know what level or whatever. The thing that's unknown is why and what they'll do with it. And, you know, whether it's real, false, or imagined, it's all about perception. And so it opens up a really big bag of what the hell could happen. Who knows? Is something going to happen? It, it seems like it's likely if they're doing all this. But what? I, I don't know. But it sounds like it's, it's kind of coming to a head, you know, at their discretion. I started watching it. An old Gene Roddenberry, um, Earth Final Conflict, there's five seasons of it, but it's interesting, Roddenberry was prophetic. The, you know, the whole concept is around, you know, these aliens just kind of show up, and humanity's at kind of an evolutionary crossroads, so they're kind of starting, they're showing up to both participate in and guide that, that process. So, I don't know, maybe there you go. <laughs> so, if it, it, you know, if, if suddenly, you know, the government's releasing the fact that aliens are real and we've interacted with them over time you know maybe there's a new the the, the crap that's going on in the in the in the shadow government's really aliens i don't know <laughs> well, what i think a lot of people don't factor in is all these anomalies that are happening are seen as i guess abstract and not connected to any specific thing i, I would be looking to people that have had abduction experiences people that have been contacted and and see if there's any kinds of patterns and and those types of stories because these these stories tend to just be i guess just firings of information to seemingly get a response that they it's almost like they know how people are going to react already and they're just trying to see if their information lines up i'm not sure how to put it well i, I think you're thinking the same thing i am in a different way but 
even though we might not know what it's all about, you can. It's a safe assumption that it's the leveraging aspect will be about control. So it always yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. How many? But yeah, they've, they've been here for a long time, as far as I'm concerned, for long enough. <laughs> maybe even a parallel society. I'm sorry. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I was just going to ask how many of you in here have seen a UFO. I've seen one. I've seen more than one. I see them a lot, actually. Not every day. I've seen, I don't know, probably 30 or so or better in my lifetime. At least a dozen, yeah. Tim, are they, when you see them, the ones that you see, uh, they come in all, what, shapes, sizes, like colors? Oh, yeah. Some some are, it's mostly lights, I see. And, you know, some of it I'll call space junk. They followed a straight trajectory, and it was, you know, maybe flashing. Looks like... As it was interacting with the atmosphere, pieces of it was falling off, burning off, this, that, or the other. I have fairly dark skies here where I'm at. Other times, I've seen crap that just reverses direction or goes really fast. It's like, nope, nope, that's not natural. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one, but uh, that Nobel Prize winning physicist, Leon Letterman, I talked to him about it. Him and students outside of San Francisco watched one close range for 30 minutes, could not explain it. And this guy was not, it's pure science, nothing else. And he was stumped, could not explain it whatsoever. Then you have the Navy footage that's out and being broadcast everywhere. And those are, that's from the government. That's government footage. The question on whether there is technology flying through our atmosphere that we can't explain is really a moot point at this time. It is. I, I remember I was in the Navy and I, I was on an aircraft carrier. So I used to know several pilots and, and aviators and stuff and, and, that was always a thing, particularly when a UFO was sighted. And three or four were, were sighted in my tour. It got to be a buzz around the ship sometimes. It's like, ah, I don't know what the hell that was. You know, <laughs> so, when I'll look at the FLIR footage of poor-looking infrared on the on the nose cameras and stuff of these fighter aircraft, it's just like, I, I don't know, man. You know, because the Navy has really good details of what another aircraft looks like. And not all the known aircraft. And that's what it is. It's an unidentified flying object. I mean... Who's to say it could be a new piece of technology that the Russians have developed, you know, or the Chinese or somebody? We don't know, but, you know, some of it really defies. If it suddenly changes direction and goes from Mach 3 to Mach 4 in the opposite direction, you know, human bodies don't tolerate that type of changes uh, or those types of gravity pulls. So those types of things that you see that are measurable in some of these things are, are interesting. You don't know of anything unless somebody's learned how to cancel inertia. You know. Well, well. Well, that's the whole thing, and that's why even the the people who are studying are calling it gravity drive, and this has been known for, for quite a while, but when you have a gravity drive in a car, you're going to get smashed if you change, do a right angle at 100. But uh, with gravity, it's pulling the craft and the occupants all at the same time in the direction it wants to go, so you could be doing 2,000 miles an hour, pull a 90 degree, you will not feel a thing if you're in the craft, because the gravity is pulling you as well. And you've just changed direction, but there's no inertia or anything. You're being pulled with it, and all your molecules with it. So it's uh, you don't suffer those effects. And then they can go through boundaries from air at thousand, you know, 500 knots to water without slowing down, continuing at 500 knots. So there's some shell around them that makes everything that exists kind of flow around them. There's no wake. There's no sound of movement through the air. The ones I've seen, they've they've been silent. You know, right. the space junk re-entries that are very close, they'll have a sonic boom. Meteoroids and stuff like that, they're fairly silent. And those are pretty specific in the sense of that's a meteor. When I've seen a UFO, it's, it's acting oddly. And I 
haven't experienced one that has a specific sound to it necessarily. Not a close range experience. You know, I always see them. I guess the closest one I've seen that you know passed directly overhead type of thing that looked like it was a lower altitude. Both my daughter and I saw it, and it was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> what that was. But it did. It, it changed course, which is not typical of, of uh, reentry or anything like that. Follow kind of a straight path. Hyperfast meteor might explode or, or you know, just be there for a split second and gone. The inertial thing, that's interesting how that would work. You know, a gravity bubble that would allow inertia to be neutral within it, but may allow inertia to flow around it It would be an interesting thing. But it's interesting in the sense that these all sound like DARPA projects. (laughs) They do. A buddy of mine was uh, together, like we were looking at the sky, and we were actually talking about consciousness. And like I said, you know, there's this weird phenomenon with special friends in the universe where we'll talk about something that happens immediately afterwards. So we're like drinking and looking up at the stars, and there's all kinds of them out. And I just said to him, I said, like, I said, what if we were to like manifest seeing an alien together right now, and then we saw it? Would you then believe that us, you know, manifest reality or whatever? And he's like, eh, I'd probably just think it was a coincidence. He literally says that, and then it's like, what looked kind of like a star, except it went straight across the sky at like ridiculous speed, and then just disappeared. So, like, it wasn't going down, it wasn't like a falling comet or anything like that, but it, it literally didn't look any more wasn't more defined than Night Star. It was definitely moving. We both saw it. <laughs> and I was like, so what was that? He was like, eh, I don't know. A coincidence. Well, you, then the things that you guys have mentioned, Tim, especially you said it can't move like that without sound really made me now, I guess, confirm that what I saw had to have been a UFO. Because the maneuvers that it did with absolutely no sound, I'm like, okay. And I definitely would have heard it we get you know i see planes we get the smaller planes over the water sometimes and a helicopter flies in and out all the time like we get the sounds from flight but this thing that i saw that giant red light that one night zero sound nothing that night was silent and the frogs you can even hear that's been my experience they're just completely silent and they may you know hover and they may change directions or they may just be going one way and then suddenly take a right angle or they may just go the other way or i've seen Several of them. I mean, I guess my first one was when I was young and, and, and probably in my preteen or right at teenage years when I was growing up. And I didn't see any more until I was in the Navy and it, you know, <laughs> there was all kind of buzz about it on the ship. And there were about three or four of those. And I've seen a whole bunch since. And it's kind of odd in the sense of, like I said, they, they do stand out from, from other things. And they, don't never, they never seem threatening. I've had one that kind of seemed like it was following me, which was odd. I haven't had any abduction experiences or anything like that, but just it's mainly just you know lights or things that are in the sky that <laughs> I can't explain. Period. I have this interesting. Well, okay, there is an interesting, very interesting thing going on, Tim. I think you've been conscious for a good, good part of your life. I guess some people call it awake, whatever you want to call it, uh, more awake than a lot of us. There might be a connection with a rise in consciousness and sights and UFOs or so I'm coming to believe. And I'm also coming to believe, uh, we threw around earlier, you guys were talking about the jump in different eras, uh, for instance, like the Industrial Revolution and such. I also have a theory that we're approaching one of those now for tech. And I see a lot, a lot, a lot of movement for tech. This could be one of the reasons why they're coming out maybe with UFO stories. It could be Project Bluebeam, but it could also be that we are seeing a rise in human consciousness as well. More people might become, like, might 
see them. It might blow up on its own. This might be why they are releasing it. Uh, that's just idea. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good Technical evolution, I agree. I mean, in the sense of we're kind of in an epoch of, of, of transformation. The evolution of technology is exponential, and it has been exponentially increasing, you know, as we've, we've learned more and more and more. And now the technology is learning. I think that we're kind of on the verge of a, not only technological, but also uh, from a from a human consciousness standpoint. I kind of have been running across a lot more people that are more aware than they typically would be in, in my past experiences. So I, I think that that is indicative of, of there's an awful lot of people that have become a lot more aware over time. There seems to be a lot more incarnating now than there have been in my experience is, is what I'm trying to say. You know, the, yeah, there's something to this. There's, there's something to now that there's a big change afoot. I don't know what it is, but ultimately, hopefully, we're going to, make things better for ourselves. With, with regards to the technological evolution side of things, and there's been a lot of talk about being on the brink of the next industrial revolution, certainly from the side of my line of work, I'm, I'm definitely seeing that we're about to enter some kind of robotic revolution um, in regards to the amount of automation we're seeing, or we're very shortly going to see, you know, with regards to basically everyday life services, you know, essentially everything we do. Uh, give, it, give it two years, I think we'll be served a whole ton of robots. Yeah, I think the automation thing is definitely an epoch of taking the the industry of, of things that have relied upon humans to machines can can build machines can you know do other things. It's a different revolution in, of of the industrial revolution, is technological revolution, whatever you want to call it. But yes, automation and AI and lots of different advances that are coming to a, a head all at once are. And I think that a lot of the things that the governments are saying and doing around the world are saying and doing are trying to kind of pave the way for that. People will be a lot less active in what goes on in the world. You know, so there, there's that. What do you do with people? How, you know, how do people live? There's an awful lot of questions around if automation takes over, then what becomes of, of the, the worker that, that got offset? We've got to deal with that. Else, you're going to wind up with a lot of people that are going to revolt. So, and, and, you know, and it may have been why we, you know, why we had the Dark Ages. There was an evolutionary epoch and, and people just like, nope, this is not going to go. And <laughs> they threw everything off the, off the pier. That, that's very feasible. How humanity responds to it is, is a thing, for sure. Just by what's going on in the world right now, this massive uh, pandemic deal, it almost seems as though there's some, it, it's a cover for something that's actually happening. We have a choice in how we get to respond to it, or will we, uh, will exactly. we just be shit along without really knowing what's going on? Yeah, it's just too easy for everybody to divert their focus at this point. So not enough people, I think less people are looking up because of all this uh, staying at home and all that type of shit. So maybe the key is just to pay attention to, to pay attention um, as opposed to get sucked in. Actually, I must say, actually, like the last four months have seemed quite long compared to how quickly four months would normally pass. Do you know what I mean? So time's yeah. been moving slower for you? I can empathize yeah. with that. They, they have passed along. Just, just kind of, I don't know, in the sense of perspective, if I think back on it, it's like, no, nah, that, you know, that went pretty, that went pretty normal. But yeah, the experience in the minute is going by. It's like I've been in stasis for a long time. Right. Yeah, I agree.
I agree with Tim. Uh, I think everything technology-wise is exploding very, very fast. I would only suggest maybe that it's happening at the Fibonacci rate, and my belief in that is only because it's the design of the universe. And so I think we're always basically building on what we have developed to be like before. It. So all of the information that we've had before adds to the previous information, gives us the new block of information that we accomplish at the same time. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. In the sense of, you know, it's basically double the, the last number that we experienced, which is what Fibonacci is. It's in, you know, it seems to be exponential, but all of nature travels on a spiral. It really does. I mean, if you, if you look at every, anything and everything, it's, it travels in a, in a Fibonacci sequence. Fibonacci occurs in so many things. It's funny, I, you know, I, I was at the Dali Museum a, a while ago, and Dali's here in St. Petersburg Beach, and they have a an outlook and in a sense of you can walk out on a balcony and they have a, a Fibonacci display out there and almost uh, a lot of Dolly's work is based on Fibonacci sequence Da Vinci you know is a lot of his stuff is based on that so it's it's interesting to, to take a look at it most of nature the easiest path of things people say well it's a straight line no it's a spiral things spiral the entire motion of the solar system is a spiral everything is a spiral it, the more you look at it the more you see it it's interesting even the human dna helix has the fibonacci spiral in the uh dna that's how our joints move i mean we just don't rotate we don't utilize rotation in in the way that they move in most cases the time moving slower thing could be happening because we're facing all these things left and right we're constantly living in the moment we're paying more attention to the time as opposed to going about our daily routine and doing things for more muscle memory i do not doubt uh, to me it seems like time is crawling like <laughs> crawling so i do get you guys you know it's interesting i think we had a pretty good range of topic as we usually do i mean in the sense that we start out with one thing and we kind of meld into the next it's, it's it's interesting to kind of go from the exploration of time and the ufos and the you know other <laughs> things so yeah i mean time is time is esoteric you can define it in somewhat concrete terms but that doesn't mean that it's applicable everywhere or to everything you know it's that's the thing about it it's not universally applicable every, anywhere. I think I was, when, uh, we, when we had that discussion on the link that I think Brittany posted, I think that was essentially what I ended up saying, that you know, time is essentially a, an illusion that we use to better understand what's going on around us, because otherwise it would just all be too much for a tiny little brain. I absolutely agree with that. It would be, a, we if we didn't have... I don't know what it would look like in a world where time didn't exist. Like, I know it doesn't really exist, and we made it exist, but if it didn't... No way to make a relation between when one thing happened and another thing happened. It's a really interesting thought experiment. I mean, in a sense of when you sleep, you don't really experience time, except for what you dream in your REM sleep. The Well, they have done studies to show that rapid eye movement cycles actually, and some dreams do occur in real time. There were yeah, some Berkeley studies back in the day. I mean, if you're if you don't exist, if you're dead, do you just fall out of time? I mean, you don't exist. Perception really plays a big part in that, which indicates that it's a artificial construct of our own consciousness of how we're trying to make sense of what we're experiencing. Well, I want to just add one thing. It's not really so much related to time, but perception, because I don't I don't typically dream, and you know, I I know that they say everybody dreams, so I guess. Maybe it's more accurate to say that I don't remember my dreams 90% of the time. But I dreamt last night, and it was extremely vivid. And the weird thing is, I knew I was dreaming, and I was consciously aware of the fact that I was dreaming while I was doing it. And so 
consciously try to stay on that line between consciousness and dreaming, like distinguishing, okay, well, I know I'm in a dream, blah, blah, blah. And the interesting thing is, and I just want to share this because I was in a copy center and I was taking photos of something and my phone had the ability to make Polaroids for whatever reason. And so I'm waiting for these Polaroids to visualize or whatever. And all of these thoughts are like, this is happening in my dream. And yet I'm like reflecting on it at the same time. So I have like the consciousness is happening at the same time in my dream. I'm waiting for this image to show up on my phone. My consciousness is going, well, you're in a dream, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe it's never going to show up. And then it did. And I thought, here's the weird thing. I thought, wow, where can I take these photos and put them so they will still be here when I wake up? <laughs> How fucked is that? Now, sorry, it's my language. But like, isn't that weird, though? Like, and I don't really dream. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, that's um, so I tried to stay in that dream for a while, and I... I'd like, I would say it felt like an hour. I don't know how long it was really. And I don't actually remember the details of the dream much beyond what I've just told you. But yeah, like the whole time I was kind of on that borderline between consciousness and... Teleport home, put it in your dresser drawer, wake up. That's exactly what I was trying to do. I was like literally uh -huh. trying to think of a place in my house that I could put it. And I was trying to like strategize how I could do that while I was in my dream. It was so fucking weird. So, uh, yeah, the whole experiencing time while you're asleep is kind of funny because I'd say that I do have a sense of time having passed while I've slept. Like, even if it's still dark when I wake up or whatever, like, I, I still have a, I have a sense that there, that there has been an amount of time passed. Um, I, I just won't necessarily know exactly how long it's been, but like, I'll have, I'll have a sense of whether it's a shorter amount of time or a longer amount of time. Like, you know, I, I'll kind of understand whether it's been around like three or four hours or 10, 11 hours. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly within the range of a couple of hours, but so, so I have a sense of it. Does that make sense? They did a Berkeley study in the 70s or 80s analyzing rapid eye movement during lucid dreams, and they found out that, that lucid dreams anyway at least happen to an extent in real time. They had them, I guess, work on a, a common theme, the people that were dreaming, and they analyzed people who were controlling their dreams doing tennis, I guess. So they found out that the rapid eye movement lined up with a person having the experience of tracking the ball in a tennis match, and they found that it was actually pretty close. So they concluded from that um, particular experiment anyway that some do occur in real time, some dreams. Uh, yeah, I also don't often remember my dreams, but I have been told that I go into um, a REM state really quickly. Like, yeah, I, I kind of go to sleep and that's it, it's black, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh shit, where am I? I think there are some aspects of our being that are not governed by time. So it's, you know, you've got to differentiate a little bit there. The unexplained things that we observe and experience. Sometimes. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so I, the, the animal and the spirit, however you want to dichotomize it, it, it helps. I, it helps me make more sense of it. You know, which one am I talking about? Is it actually experiencing time in this form of existence or is it others? self that can go outside of that stuff. I suppose you could kind of look at it as uh, a residual magnetism that we're able to perceive uh, as, you know, say things that have already happened, but, you know, looking to, um, you know, ha having a perception passed from, say, another worldly experience. Yeah, it's like yeah. that post I made about knowing that uh, a bunch of people would die and I'd raise kids by myself when I was eight years old, just to download. Where the hell and why, you know? So that's a direct experience, visceral 
experience, and that uh, it all came true. And why would an eight-year-old be privy or even be given that information? Uh, that's one yeah. of the big mysteries of my life, for sure. But mm -hmm. uh, it did happen, and it was provided, and it was no words, just solid data instilled into my brain. This is going to happen. Big sense of doom. And, and there it is. So time is not uh, linear. To, to some aspects of our existence or whatever. And, and uh, so, yeah, there is a difference between perception and then metaphysical type stuff. But I would agree with that. You know, kind of tying back into that whole UFO thing and what your awareness is tends to impact, you know, your ability to see them, which is interesting. I recently heard this, and it's just like, well, it's just like, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Since I've seen them for quite a long time, but you know, other people, you know, contemporary to me, no, they never experienced them. Uh, you know, so it's it's interesting how that works, and and you know, the whole story of time, and it seems to be that we physically can't reverse time, but time still exists all at the same instant, regardless of our physical ability to do something about it. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's a duality in the sense that it's a dichotomy or a paradox in that in that sense. And, you know, that, that uh, you know, we can only physically experience linear time, but the, the true reality of time is, is it, it all happens at the same instance. If we were different, you know, if we if our awareness or our consciousness or our spirit or however you want to look at it can transcend our physical reality, then we experience time differently. Whether or not it exists, I think it's all just perception. We broke it down to three things. What were they? Yeah, right. Mine was biology, nature, and cosmic. Yeah. But, uh, biology, well, nature. I have another thought. I just had another thought uh, about this based on your last statement, where we have this perception that time is linear while we're physical. And you were saying that, you know, if we could transcend the physical body, maybe, maybe time is all happening in one instance. And I actually believe that to be true because I, I think the truth is that it's only happening in a linear perception for this physical reality. The same as truth of our being is that we could walk through walls if we had the right vibrational frequency and understanding of the planet and all that kind of stuff because everything is, the wall is just being the wall for our experience of this reality. But anyway, uh, what I was going to say is that if we could transcend physical body, I think what time actually is, is maybe just markers, memories. And once you transcend the body, whatever you think of, maybe maybe time is relative to thought more than anything else in the sense that, you know, if let's say I transcend my, my body and I start thinking about when I was five years old, let's say I just died, feeling I can go back to that time and, and witness myself at five years old. Um, you know what I mean? Like Almost like we're recording a movie with our thoughts. Memory. Yeah, without memories, we're nothing. Our perception is our reality, in a sense, and if we don't perceive, we have no reality. Because then you have Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah, then you don't care about nothing. But it all goes back to that inference thing, and we're always, that was a Nietzsche thing, it's we're always in the state of becoming who we are. We're never defined because of that. Every millisecond, we're becoming somebody different, and his Uberman was somebody who could jump ahead of themselves in time, look back, and see themselves in totality. So that's part of existence. It's so uh, inherent but frustrating is that we're always becoming something different. Maslow was, was trying to call it transcendent self. He was trying to go one echelon above self-actualization. I think that's what he called it. I think that's like the best analogy I've heard so far. 
I wrote a paper on them in college, stayed up all night doing subs, uh, illicit substances. I think that's how I'm going to end the night. <laughs> <laughs> and check out DARPA. Yeah, everybody check out the little DARPA. There's a crap ton of stuff going on out there that people are just not aware of. All right, guys. Good night. I'm going to say good night to the listeners. You can find me at Balance Brain on Instagram, at Balance underscore Brain on Twitter, and at Brittany DeLima on Facebook. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. You're amazing. Bye.